Luke and Luke 10 is uh, where the 72, 72 of the disciples came back and they were really excited because good things had happened. It says this, 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice because of good things that are happening around you, even spiritual things and the power that you have, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And uh, yeah, that's a cause of rejoicing. And if you're, you're not sure of that, you can decide for that today, if you want. So let's pray. And Lord, we thank you. You give us this opportunity for uh, an ongoing, eternal relationship with you. And that, uh, that goodness you shower on us, even that power that you give to us, that can continue on and on and on forever. It's not just for now. And Lord, as we... Um, we, we hear of your goodness, speak of your goodness, spirit continue to work, amen. So we're doing a, a series on, it's called Encounters with Jesus, and it's a combination of people talking about their encounter, or encounters with Jesus, and an uh, example out of the Bible of that. So today we are very privileged to have the amazing Wenda York is going to uh, share with us. So, this is Wenda, this is Ken, and uh, so uh, blessed by this couple, come from um, Hawke's Bay and have had pastoral experience, they know what it feels like, and uh, they are prayerful people and they serve. So yeah, really appreciate you guys, really thank uh, the Lord for you. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful word of, word of praise, uh, unexpected. I bought a spare pair of glasses just in case I I actually can't read out of these ones. One of my my favorite things is a scripture in the Bible that says that God orders our steps. And others have added to that by saying that he orchestrates our day and he engineers our circumstances. And all of that, we can say that God knows exactly what he's doing with us from go to woe. We can have confidence in that. Well, okay, I come from a a spirit-filled Christian family. Uh, My dad uh, was called to ministry when he was 50 for his first church and served in the Hastings Apostolic Church for a a 14-year period. Um, My my youngest brother is currently pastor of a a Christian church in Rotorua, Um, and as Carl has said, both Ken and I and have served in ministry, and so has my older sister and her husband also served in ministry, so... We really are blessed to have come from such a a wonderful family. But it didn't start out that way. There's always a beginning, right? Um, I was born and raised in Levin, the third of four children. My dad was a watchmaker and engraver, and my mum taught speech classes. Then they called it elocution. Um, And even uh, she taught at our home, and even I was included in some of her classes. So perhaps that's helped me to speak. Who knows? 
until the age of 15, uh, we all regularly attended the local Presbyterian church in Levin, uh, where my dad was an elder. Now, around about that period of time, he became a born-again Christian, uh, possibly through the Billy Graham Crusade or the Four Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. And um, soon after that time, my older brother and sister also became Christians. Even though we were going to church, we weren't. We didn't know Jesus as a personal saviour. Uh, when I was very young, probably for a christening or something, my great-aunt and my great-grandmother gave me a little black Bible, my very first Bible, and a church hymn book, which I proudly took to church with me when I was very young. I still have those books. And I love to take them to church with me, particularly when, especially when my grandparents started attending regularly. Uh, then it was my preference to stay in church with them, to sing the hymns from my own book, recite the paraphrases, and watch those glistening communion trays go by. And sometimes Granddad would sneak me, a, sneak me a piece of bread. And I tried very hard to sit upright with my knees together, just like Grandma, but my feet didn't touch the floor. And I often fell asleep. Growing up, I was extremely shy, nervous, and fearful. And it was very unsettling for me. Actually, it was unsettling for my family. They didn't really know what to do with me. I was fearful of going anywhere unfamiliar and uncertain, and socializing was very uneasy. My first year at college, uh, my brother Matthew and my sister Carol invited me to attend Crusaders. It was an interchurch Christian fellowship uh, run by an open brethren couple at the time, and it was held during the college hour. Uh, first year, I wouldn't go, just too scared to walk in the door. The following year, I did muster the courage to start going. I was 14 years old, and it was one of those meetings I listened with great interest as one of those Christian students shared her testimony and spoke of salvation. You know, there were two words I'd never heard of before. Later at home, I told Carol about my experience. Obviously, she wasn't there that day, so I went home and I told her, asking her what those two words meant. Now, she had a little book, probably a, a witnessing tract like Billy Graham Crusade used to put out. Remember the four spiritual laws? It was a little booklet like that. And she offered to sit with me as I read through each page, which explained how sin separates us from God, like a huge chasm, and that Jesus is the only bridge back to him and eternal life. On the last page of the booklet was a prayer. And Carol knelt with me as I read it. Tears dripped down my face as I confessed my sin and invited Jesus into my life as Savior and Lord. I knew something had touched me. So now Carol said, well, now you have to confess with your mouth and tell someone what you've just done, just like it says in Romans 10.9. Well, the only someone I could think of was Mum, and she was downstairs cooking dinner. So standing next to her at the, at the stove, I boldly confess, Mum, I've just invited Jesus into my heart, and Carol helped me do it. Beaming, I waited for Mum's joyous reply. Mum was always pleased with the things I did and would praise me readily. Naturally, I thought this would be the same, but it wasn't. You see, without looking at me and after a lengthy pause, she said, that's nice, dear. I didn't know. My mum didn't know Jesus yet. And I understand probably about that time that she was having difficulty with my father's new salvation. 
She didn't quite know what to do with it. So she was <laughs> about what was happening in our family at the time. But good news, short, short time afterwards, uh, she did become saved and asked Jesus into her, her heart too. So pretty much the whole family had done it. <laughs> and uh, soon after that, my dad moved us away from the Presbyterian Church and into the Apostolic Church, which was directly across the railway line. There I became part of a growing youth group, was baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. It was a great time there, and we remained in that church until I left home. If I had a couple of stories of how God has moved in my life, I would definitely choose the trip I took to America in 1976, the one where I went to see my sister and met Ken. However, that story is way too long for this short period of time. Next time. That was amazing. So the other story would be one in 2005. So we're jumping ahead a lot of years. Uh, The year my um, Christian life really began to shift into another gear, another level. We were still in ministry at the time, but I was going through a rough patch. So this two-month period away, visiting my sister was a welcome break. And I had gone there with my parents to my niece's wedding. And Anyway, since Carol's marriage in 1975 and mine in 1977, we had not lived in the same country at all. Period of about 40 years. We passed in the dark, you know. She had started out in New Zealand and gone to a America and then come back and I'd gone away and come back but we'd crisscrossed so we never really got to know each other in our later years. On this occasion it was like an answer to prayer to get to know my sister again. Now Carol was an avid hiker. I've probably spoken to you some about that before but she was in the beginning stages then and she wanted to take me on an overnight hike on Mount Hood on the Timberline Trail 5,800 feet up. Now, she knew I, my dislike for camping. I'd always never liked camping, even as a kid, going camping with my parents, but I had to go because they took me. Um, and she was aware of how fearful I am of the unfamiliar and those things. But I, I was willing to go. I knew in my heart I had to go. I had to challenge myself. My brother-in-law said, Wenda, don't make her twist your arm. I said, no, it's okay, I'm going to go. I had one small panic attack on the way up up the mountain, but once on the trail in brilliant sunshine at 5,800 feet, my fears gave way to wide-eyed wonder of the scenery. The brilliant blue sky and crystal clear atmosphere revealed other mountain tops. Got to find my line. <laughs> Here we go. Mountain tops in the distance all the way into Washington State. At several places along the route, I experienced again the childhood fantasy of walking in fairyland amidst an abundance of brightly colored flowers, stepping sprightly over little babbling brooks, standing in snow yet feeling the warmth of the sun, all with a serenity of mind I could never have imagined. I believe God was showing me how well he knows me, how well he knew me. He'd seen me as a child playing dress-ups and pretending to be a fairy. (laughs) He'd seen what I'd been through. He knows what I'm going through. He knows that the me deep down inside, you know, the stuff of the heart and the mind, and he loves me that much to show me. Because of that mountaintop experience, I know my God that much more. 
God is developing in me an increasing confidence in who he is. And it's taken years, but like Moses. <laughs> and even since coming to Gisborne, which is another amazing experience of what God has done for us, my confidence and trust in God has deepened, progressively cancelling out a lot of the fear stuff. And I don't like to really talk about the fear stuff, but there's a few of you here who know how hard that is. In John 1.48, Nathaniel asks Jesus, How is it that you know all these things about me? And Jesus said to him, Well, you know, long ago, even before Philip ever called you, while you were still under the fig tree, I saw you. I have to end it there. But I want to encourage anybody who ever wonders what God sees, what he knows about you, the stuff you don't want to talk about with people, the stuff you don't want them to know, he knows and he loves you and he wants to help you and he will walk with you through all of that no matter how frightened you are, no matter how nervous you are. I still have minor panic attacks. I still have very fearful moments even before coming to stand up here. It was a little nervy. But that song about the peace... God gives us peace, even through our suffering, gives us peace. Amen. Thank you, winners. Awesome. Uh, maybe we'll turn that heater off and maybe the back one too, Sean. That's okay, it's quite warm in here. So we're going to look at an encounter of Jesus with two sisters, and it's in Luke chapter 10. Verses 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. And uh, two sort of titles, I'm not sure which one it'll be. Um, one is, You Choose, and the other is, What Really Matters. You Choose, What Really Matters. So let's read this. Uh, at the home of Martha and Mary, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. It's just out of Jerusalem, Bethany, probably only a few kilometers away. 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. One of the things that's asked of Jesus there is this question. It's almost like a statement, really. Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care? Martha says to Jesus, don't you care? I'm doing all this work. Don't you care? Uh, it was asked another time too, Mark chapter 4, the disciples are in the boat. Big storm, and they yell out to Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? And so in the busyness or the bumpiness of life, 
Don't think it's an indication of God's, that that's a God's lack of care. He cares. He cares. Even if you're hectically busy or it's really bumpy, He cares. He cares. Water or land, He cares. Busyness or bumpiness, land or sea, town or country, here or there, whatever your context, He cares. Will you trust that Jesus does care? See, this is not really about, this story is not about Jesus caring. Jesus does care. This is about you choosing. You choosing. Verse 42. Choose one thing. One thing. Kotahi ia te mea. Kotahi. Choose one thing. And the world wants us to worry about many things. Many things. E raru raru ana ki mea maha. Many things. It's called, verse 40, distraction. You are distracted by many things. But actually, we can only do one thing at a time. Multitasking is a myth. We need priority. Not priorities. The Bible doesn't talk about, it doesn't talk about balance. It talks about focus. Focus. It promotes focus. Seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, coming back on an airplane from Auckland last month, I read an article. She was a, a Kiwi entrepreneur. In the article, uh, the interview asked her a question. If you were to give one piece of advice to entrepreneurs starting up, what would it be? She said one word. Focus. Focus. You know, to-do lists, to-do lists are big lists. But if you want a small list, here's a small list. What really matters? What really matters? That's a small list. Our highest priority is to know our highest priority. What really matters? What really matters? Of everything that needs doing, only a few things really matter. Yep, fixing the house is important. Education is important. Sports hobbies are important. Cooking, cleaning is important. But what really, really matters, you choose. You choose. And it's about focus. It's not about balance. And we can choose. We all have 168 hours in a week. I read of a lawyer in another country, devoted to his job, get up at 5.30, come home at 9, had a family. He just decided, I'm not actually going to do that anymore. And even if I lose my job, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know what? He did not lose his job. And his boss was uh, very pleased with the way he was working, even after reducing his work hours. Because he had decided what really matters. What really matters is the big question. And to do what really matters, we need to cheat the goods to get the great. Because there's lots of good stuff that we can do, 
But to get the great stuff, we need to cheat the good to get the great. Verse 42 says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary has chosen what is better. You know, we do not drift towards awesomeness. We don't drift drift towards uh, exercise or generosity or service or sacrifice. We actually have to choose those things. We actually drift towards uh, being slovenly, greedy, selfish, uh, consumerism. That's what we drift towards. To choose the best, we need to resolutely choose it. James K. Smith, he's a Uh, A professor and a writer wrote a book called You Are What You Love, subtitled The Spiritual Power of Habit. Spiritual Power of Habit. He said this, When I decided to be a heretic in terms of my teaching style and just not facilitate the students in the voicing of their thoughts and philosophies, it was then that I really became a teacher. He said, if all I did was help the students to, to voice their thoughts and philosophies, and they're so influenced by the Western air that we breathe, I would merely end up training them to become little more than prodigious consumers. Prodigious consumers. You know, highly trained, articulate, ravenous consumers. It was when that I resolved instead to become a heretic and apprentice the students instead to love the great, the true, the beautiful. It was then that I became a teacher. Daniel. Daniel in the Bible. Daniel resolved. Chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved... And Daniel's res- uh, resolution started in the midst of prosperity and plenty and power. Not on the battlefield, but in the midst of prosperity, plenty and power, being resolute in ordinary places. Resolute when there's plenty of stuff and plenty of options. Pastor John Cameron uh, from Arise Church, based in Wellington. There's eight churches now, thousands that go to the churches. Shara and I were at a conference in July. I was talking to one pastor in Hamilton. Their church, Hamilton, they get 60 visitors every single Sunday. And uh, John Cameron, the head pastor of the eight churches, as a young adult, made a decision of faith. He chose... And part of his faith story was he had a great youth leader. And they would all go to church and hang out, go to the beach after church. It was great. But one day after, he decided for Jesus. He felt the Lord would say, don't go to the beach today after church. Go home. So he got in the car, uh, started to go home. And he was, he was confused of, What's that? And he's sort of praying, and he felt the Lord say, you never, ever again will have a Sunday afternoon. You never, ever again have a Sunday afternoon. Resolute, you see. 
You choose. And I believe, I believe this century will require, will require more bravery and courage than last century. I think it's different now. You ever notice the difference in the instructions Jesus gives his disciples between Luke 10 and Luke 22? In Luke 10, he sends them out without purse, bag, sandals. Everyone loves them. They can stay wherever they want. People bring food, whatever they need. Then in Luke 22, Jesus says, he says, now when you go, you take a purse, you take a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your stuff, get a sword. Now he's not, Jesus is not advocating violence, but he's saying the tide has turned. Glory days are gone. No one's going to clap now. It's, a, it's, it's different. I believe it's different. I believe the days of the church where everyone's clapping in Western society, that's different. They're not clapping us anymore. But be resolute. Be resolute. Uh, one of our sons one time was making a wish list of all the things that he wanted. I said to him, why don't you make a list too of, of what you want to be? I said, what do you want to be? He said, um, I want to be brave. This is what I, I want us to be. I want us to be brave. I want us to be resolute. Verse 9 in Daniel, chapter 1, it says, And God showed favor to Daniel. Matthew 28, 19, that's our mission as a church. Go and make disciples, apprentices of Jesus. I want to apprentice you to love the great, the true, and the beautiful, fully found in Jesus. But you choose. I encourage you to choose what really matters. Choose Jesus. Choose his bride the church. In the early days of the church, he was a Jewish man. He was intent on destroying the church called Saul, violent opponent of the church. But the Spirit of God met him on the road one day on his way to destroy another church. And the Spirit said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. I want you, you know, choose Jesus and choose the bride that he loves, his church. I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And as we take, as we take communion, I want us to choose obedience to the Spirit of Jesus. And I want us just to, um, to stop and to be quiet and to allow the Spirit of, of God to speak to us and say, what is it that really matters for me? What is it you want for me? What really matters? What really matters? There's all sorts of things, but to you, God, what really matters? And be brave, resolute, stick to it. Now, for some of us, this is, this is to be a conversation at home as a couple, as a family. What is it that really matters to us? What is it that is to really matter to us as a family? Because there's all sorts of options, things out there. But what really matters? Okay, if we can have one, two, three, four, to hand those around, that'd be right. 
And if you love the Lord Jesus, I invite you to partake of this. And we'll just have a a time of quiet, maybe some background music. And just um, ask the Lord as you partake, as we remember his sacrifice. Ask that question, Lord, what really matters? What really matters? Uh, also, if, if you want to choose for Jesus in some way, if you've never chosen for Jesus, uh, that opportunity is here today. If there's something that he's spoken to you and you just want to confirm that in prayer, uh, people would love to pray for you. And so um, those prayer people will just come up here and just maybe as you've had communion, as you bring it back up, you can just hang around up here and people will pray for you.